Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. State with Kyle this week. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the uh, the mostly positive feedback I've gotten on social media for the first two episodes of this that I've released. Uh, again, hope to uh, increase the quality and get a little better at this as episodes go along uh, on Sports State here. So thanks again to everybody. Coming up later on in the episode, we will get to rate my take. We will get to what I'm currently obsessing over. But a couple topics I wanted to dive into for this episode this week. Uh, a couple of things that have been bothering me, and I want to give a, a fair warning as we begin in this episode right now. This is going to be a bit of a self-indulgent episode. Uh, the, the main topic I'm going to get to in a little bit is about one of the teams that I have followed belovedly for years, since I was uh, very young, and I have many problems with this team and the way they're going about business. So coming up later, the main topic I'm going to get to this week is the Detroit Tigers and the state they're in and the issues I have with them. So I just want to give a fair warning. It is a bit self-indulgent. It is an overall theme, though, of teams and how to rebuild your franchise. Every team has to go through that at some point, seeing that every sport has some type of financial limitations in today's day and age. Every team has to go through some type of rebuild or retooling and the Detroit Tigers are in that scenario right now. So coming up in a little bit, I want to talk a bit about the Detroit Tigers. But I did want to start this week by talking a little bit about the Hall of Fame, the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and Hall of Fames in general, and kind of what's wrong with them, what bothers me about them. This isn't the first year that there's been issues, and there weren't any real issues at the NFL Hall of Fame this year. Next year, it seems, and this is a topic for next year's sports tate around this same time, for their uh, centennial class or some anniversary, they're going to induct 20 people into the Hall of Fame, which, if you ask me, kind of dilutes hall the Hall of Fame. It's a discussion for around, and we can kind of see the class that they're bringing. In the last few years, aside that they, they, they should, they don't need to be deciding who is more qualified to join their Hall of Fame and who isn't. Now, baseball has been dealing with this for years. Baseball has been dealing with the steroid crisis on a larger scale in the last uh, five years. And now that those athletes are going to be coming up, it's even more in the coming years as we see a lot of these guys have to hit a certain percentage on the, on the Baseball Hall of Fame ballot or risk falling off the ballot entirely. The reckoning is coming because as the top baseball players of yesteryear come onto the ballot and maybe follow a dwindling list of candidates who are qualified and who you think deserve to be in the Hall of Fame anyway. So baseball has been dealing with this moral dilemma now. And so you're going to see Barry Bonds. Is he going to get there? Roger Clemens. 
Uh, all of these guys from that era, David Ortiz is going to be coming up in a few years. Uh, I don't believe he ever tested positive uh, in public, but the going theory is that David Ortiz was abusing performance-enhancing drugs in some regard. So we're about to see how do these writers who vote for the Baseball Hall of Fame, how do they view them uh, of the morality of baseball and they should decide, hey, this guy shouldn't get in because he cheated, or are they going to simply look at the numbers and write it off as a bygone, as kind of a, a byproduct of the era that was the steroid era? And we're kind of seeing a, lot, a referendum on a lot of these guys who you see, they're and you know what? That That's an argument that I, I'm not going to jump into. If they feel that using steroids and cheating, well, that's totally fair that you don't vote for that player to be in the Hall of Fame. There's no controversy there. There shouldn't be any controversy there. But the problem is if you let one steroid player in, you then open the well. The, 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 the river overflows at that point where you have to then allow all the steroid users in. Which, okay, that's the era. You, otherwise, you're going to have an entire era of baseball players, possibly the most popular era of baseball players, with nobody in, none of the top players being in the Baseball Hall of Fame. And is that something that you want to see? Do you want to see a 5- to 10-year gap in terms of plaques and with names you don't recognize, with names who batted 250 and who didn't get to 400 home runs, but they were good guys? So that that decision is coming. Uh, and it's coming very soon. And again, with baseball, they, they've decided to now toe this line about what is acceptable behavior, whether morality needs to be taken into account for these votes or whether it's simply baseball stands, stats. Well, they've made their presence known by what they're having Kurt Schilling go through now. Now, Kurt Schilling is an avid uh, Donald Trump supporter. He is a failed businessman. But what he was was a tremendous baseball pitcher. For many years, for the Arizona Diamondbacks, for the Boston Red Sox, had the famous bloody sock game that helped the Boston Red Sox win the World Series and break their streak and their stretch of 70, 80 years without a World Series. And right now, he is on track to come up short. He has not made it yet. There is no real sense of whether he will or not. A lot of these guys seem to kind of hit their ceiling in terms of voting now you have to get to 75 percent and he is he's come up short in his years on the ballot and a lot of the thinking is well he is he dabbles in politics we don't like him as a uh, a person who is involved in politics and the politics he supports so i'm not going to vote for him and i don't think that's the place for the baseball writers association of america to to stick their foot I get if you want to say, well, he's he shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame uh, because of this reason or that reason, like I talked about, steroids. I, I don't fall one way or another on that line of steroids. If you don't want to vote for a guy because of that, like I said, that's totally fine. But if you don't want to vote for a guy like Kurt Schilling because you disagree with his politics, I, I can't fathom that. I, I can't justify that in my head. Because at that point, you're holding your vote, which is essentially worthless. There's hundreds of these things around the country for baseball writers who most of them haven't been watching every game of baseball. They're reading some, some stat lines and some yearly stat lines for the athletes who they're voting on and determining who they want to vote in and who they don't want to be. 
So it's already a very diluted system where it seems like everybody and their brother related to baseball can get a vote. And now these 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 writers, some of them want to kind of hold it and lord it over Kurt Schilling's head. Well, I don't like you supporting Donald Trump. I'm not going to vote for you. It doesn't matter if you support Donald Trump or not or what side of the political aisle and uh, divisiveness you fall on right now. The fact is, this is the Baseball Hall of Fame. This has nothing to do with him outside of that. He ran a failed video game studio and took millions of dollars from the taxpayers of Massachusetts or some north northeastern state, and a lot of people harbor ill will about that. There's a lot of ill sentiment towards Kurt Schilling, and he's the best example. Because again, like I've talked about, should the Baseball Writers Association of America have this ability to hold moral clauses in what they think is right and wrong over players and over their votes. Now, there's no way to really arbitrate that. There's no way to mediate this and make sure the writers are voting for who actually belongs in the Hall of Fame. You're just hoping that they can collectively do their job. And in the case of Kurt Schilling, who has pitching numbers that are really impressive, they're very, very, very impressive, it just... It baffles me that he's not that close. Uh, there is a ranking system that has him ranked as the 27th best starting pitcher in all of baseball history, ahead of Tom Glavin, ahead of Jim Palmer, uh, ahead of Mike Mussina, who who is probably going, I believe, is going in this year. He is he he's a top pitcher who it really is kind of sad to see this. And you hope something like this can get rectified and taken out of the game. And it goes along with Barry Bonds. Even if Barry Bonds isn't in the Hall of Fame, Barry Bonds' achievements should still be mentioned in the Hall of Fame. Those should still be there. Kurt Schilling's achievements and Kurt Schilling himself should be in there. A guy who there was never any speculation about him taking performance-enhancing drugs or anything like that. I, I don't see how you can continually keep him out. So as of this year... He finished with just under 61% of the vote. Like I said, you need to get to 75% of the ballots uh, by the Baseball Writers Association of America. With 61%, this thinking seems to be he is, quote, on track to make uh, the Baseball Hall of Fame in coming years. It's just, it's a weird version of paying your dues. And it's not the way it should be. The man is retired from the sport of baseball. He has accomplished a lot in baseball that most Every other pitcher, as I talked, as I just told you, he's the 27th ranked pitcher. Most other pitchers in baseball have never accomplished to to make him pay his dues on the way into the Hall of Fame is an absolute travesty. And going in that line, I got sidetracked a bit there talking about baseball. But the main reason I wanted to bring that up, and it ties in perfectly with the Kurt Schilling case that I just discussed, is the Terrell Owens case. Now, Terrell Owens, by all measurements, by all statistics, was a top receiver in NFL history. There's a handful of guys above him that you can look at and say yes, but he is a top-flight, career-longevity NFL wide receiver who should have been in the in the NFL Hall of or in the Football Hall of Fame on his first ballot and without issue. But he didn't, and he didn't because of things like doing push-ups in his driveway. He didn't because he was an early example of a diva wide receiver who wanted a better contract. He didn't because he was perceived as a as a locker room issue on his teams, and that's why he floated around teams. And like I talked about with Schilling, 
This is a real problem because now we have NFL writers and football writers and columnists around the country deciding that, well, I don't like that man's character. I don't like that he held out for a new contract. I don't like that he had Agent Drew Rosenhaus talking to the media while I was doing push-ups. And frankly, that is an embarrassment. It's an absolute embarrassment that they made him wait. It's an absolute embarrassment that... uh, they made it seem like, well, maybe he doesn't deserve it. When everybody in, everybody who looks at anything statistic-wise for Terrell Owens and any NFL wide receiver can see very clearly that he deserved to be in the Hall of Fame almost immediately. I, I can't believe that this is now a thing. That these, these Hall of Fames are becoming more corrupt than the worst periods of the sports they're covering. We have now baseball writers, like I talked about, holding these issues and political issues over Kurt Schilling's head, you know, instead of the stair in all the while the sport they're covering has the biggest steroid issue in any sport known to man. And we now have NFL writers who this who just recently decided, well, I didn't really like Terrell Owens, so he doesn't deserve it. And like I said, it's absolutely embarrassing. It's absolutely embarrassing. And the NFL Hall of Fame, the Pro Football Hall of Fame, sorry, was embarrassed last year because Terrell Owens and I stand by it. I stand by what he did. I think it was fine what he did. He decided, I'm not going to go. I'm just not going to show up. You're going to make me wait for no reason because you don't like the way I did my business. So I'm just not going to show up. He embarrassed the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He was near, He was barely mentioned at all on the broadcast and during the ceremony, which is just a travesty and totally unnecessary. You're the Professional Football Hall of Fame. You need to reference the man who, even if he's not there, still is going into that Pro Football Hall of Fame. So you're red in the face because this guy decided to say no to your invitation after you made him wait for reasons that you determine, well, he had to wait because I need to make him realize what he did was wrong. Again, the man is retired from professional football. It feels corrupt. It feels dirty the way that they're doing these actions and making these players seem like you need to live up to my standards on the field, off the field, business side, professional side, athletic side. You need to live up to all of these facets of what I determine. Make a Hall of Fame athlete before I'm going to let you in the Hall of Fame. I I can't. I, I wish somebody could explain that to me because NFL writers You've seen the video. Listen, nobody's athletic like these wide receivers and like any athlete like that, let alone columnists who are in their 50s and 60s, 60s, who've barely touched a football field, who've barely touched a baseball field, who couldn't hit a 70-mile-an-hour pitch, who couldn't throw a football pass or call a play if they were forced to. Yet they're the ones now, because they have a vote, because they watch the game, They have a vote who can now say, you need to abide by my rules. The Pro Football Hall of Fame, the Baseball Hall of Fame, feel like they're getting out of control in terms of, you know, writer and voter empowerment. And it's it's not okay. It's a troubling trend. It's a very troubling trend going forward for how this is going to be determined going forward. Quite frankly, that shouldn't matter. What Terrell Owens was doing, like I said, it shouldn't matter. The man, for a while, had the most receptions in a single game in NFL history. He single-handedly almost won the Philadelphia Eagles a Super Bowl on a broken leg. Okay? Donovan McNabb throwing up in the huddle. Terrell Owens on a near broken leg out there against the New England Patriots trying to win a Super Bowl. The man was a gutsy athlete. 
You can say he was a bad teammate if you want. I'm sure there's plenty of teammates who would say he's not. And in today's day and age, where it seems like things are veering towards player empowerment, how does this reflect on, let's say, a running a, a guy like Duke Johnson, a running back for the Cleveland Browns, who's good, not great, but let's say he explodes. Let's say he has an amazing career and makes the Hall of Fame. Does he have to wait? Because he said he wanted to be traded from the Cleveland Browns because he didn't want to be third string on the Cleveland Browns anymore. Do the Pro Football Hall of Fame writers and voters make him wait? Did they make John Elway wait? He didn't want to play where he got drafted. Are they going to make Eli Manning wait? Because he didn't want to play in San Diego when he was drafted number one overall by the Chargers. How do you determine what's okay professionally and what's not okay professionally? Terrell Owens was doing what's best for him. He was trying to get the most money he could possibly make in a short NFL career, and there's nothing wrong with that. These Hall of Fames need an absolute reality check, and I hope in years to come there's more players and athletes who take this the way it should be taken, which is a slight, and turn these Hall of Fames down and say that they're not going to show up to their fake ceremonies so that they can be used for more NFL money to go to Canton, Ohio to see their bust. And it bothers me. It bothers me because this is going to be the generation that I grew up watching now. And it's going to be weird for me to see athletes essentially fighting to make the Hall of Fame when, well, no, they're deserved to be in the Hall of Fame. Why aren't they in? Try to explain that to anybody. It absolutely doesn't make sense. It's absolutely not okay. The Hall of Fames are corrupt. They're only getting worse. Uh, and it seems like there's no end in sight as these votes get diluted and writers slash voters are more spread out to less newspaper and less daily writers and more blogs and internet content that need to drive clicks in order to survive. And I can only hope, I can absolutely only hope that something changes in the voting process in the years to come because it's unacceptable. Unacceptable. The other thing I wanted to get to today, and I teased this at the start, and I apologized then and I'll apologize again right now for being a bit self-indulgent. I grew up on the Detroit Tigers. I watched the Detroit Tigers in the late mid to late 90s when I was a young kid. I remember watching guys like Bobby Higginson, Eric Munson, you know, Dean Palmer, all the way through this era of the early 2000s where they were historically, well, not historically, nearly historically, the worst team in baseball. In 2003, the Detroit Tigers went 43-119, and 119, which is the second worst record in baseball of all time behind the record losses of 120. And that was the low point. It's obviously, like I just said, it's hard to go lower than that. 120 is the record. They hit 119. And to their credit, they started doing the right thing. They started rebuilding. They started paying for free agents. Some of their kids worked out. They built a team. They spent some money. They put fans in the seat, in the seats. And by 2006, they were in the World Series. They didn't win it. They made the World Series they lost. They ended up being competitive and winning their division for the better part of the next 8 to 10 years. And that's the good part of the story. That's that's the positives of the Detroit Tigers who came out from the great beyond of 43-119 and 119 in 2003 with outfielders like George Lombard, uh, Haram Boca Chica, uh, Robert Fick was there, Chris Shelton, None of these names mean anything to anybody, but they mean something to me as a Detroit Tiger fan because I was there during this last dark period 
And I started following them closer and becoming more of a fan and seeing this team come from that darkness into a World Series competitive team and making the correct trades, signing free agents that matter, making you know seeing some draft picks actually pan out that mattered. That was a sight for sore eyes for the Detroit Tigers, who after the 1984 World Series really fell off the face of the earth, like I said, until the mid-2000s. So the time came, and I would argue the time came in 2013, when manager Brad Ausmus got outmanaged in the in the American League playoffs by the Baltimore Orioles and Buck Showalter, that they should have began the teardown of the Detroit Tigers. And if not, they should have stayed all in on what they had and spent the money going forward to remain a competitive team. But they didn't. They tried to waffle in between. And they lose a guy like Max Scherzer, who's probably one of the top five starting pitchers on the planet because they want to lowball him to stay in Detroit. So he goes to the Washington Nationals and is still an incredible starting pitcher for the Washington Nationals and is setting the world on fire. And then then comes the time where they determine, hey, this is over. They need to fully rebuild. And this is the, the overarching theme of what I want to talk about here. Because there's ways to do a rebuild and there's ways to not do a rebuild. Now, for a while there, the thinking of the way to do a rebuild for your franchise was to tank. You need to be very, very bad for a couple of years, get a lot of high draft picks, get rid of a lot of bloated salaries, and build young. Start young, build it that way. So that's the way that the most recently you've seen you've seen the uh, the Philadelphia 76ers do it. They started it. Trust the process, they said. Trust the process for the Philadelphia 76ers. They, they drafted uh, Joel Embiid. They drafted Ben Simmons, who now look like cornerstones of that franchise. And they did that by tanking. But if you look at the entirety of what the Philadelphia 76ers did, they got those two players out of it. But what else did they get out of it? They got Markel Fultz who is in his second or third year now, already been traded to the Orlando Magic, seems to be uh, on his way to being nothing special. He can't shoot the basketball. He has a shoulder issue. Nothing but problems. He was the number one pick for the Philadelphia 76ers. Gone. Nerlens Noel, another top pick of the Philadelphia 76ers, an early first-round draft pick. Best player available? Where is he? I couldn't tell you. He's not on the Philadelphia 76ers. Jalil Okafor, another top and early draft pick. Philadelphia 76ers, where is he now? Couldn't tell you. Definitely not with the Philadelphia 76ers. So the Philadelphia 76ers right now are good. I wouldn't say they're great in the NBA in the Eastern Conference, but they're good. But why are they good? It's because they traded for a guy like Jimmy Butler from Chicago or from Minnesota. It's because they traded for a guy like Tobias Harris. It's not because they tanked. It's because they traded for for valuable assets who ended up panning out. You don't need to tank to rebuild your team, to rebuild your franchise. You don't need to tank. It's an absolute salary-shedding move for billionaire owners who are doing it this way, claiming that this is the only way to rebuild a team. When proven, it's not. It's absolutely not the only way to do it. And teams like the New York Yankees prove it. The New York Yankees went through a rebuild. Do you see any of their players, their over 
their overzealous or their overpaid contracts and bloated salaries from the early to mid 2000s. Do you see any of those on the team anymore? No, you don't because they've rebuilt. They've rebuilt and the way they rebuilt was a delicate balance between keeping their youth and keeping their draft picks and those young talents and taking chances as well as balancing the free agency market. They've done it the right way. They haven't had any 100 loss seasons. They definitely haven't had back-to-back seasons where they've stared 100 losses in the face like the Detroit Tigers are doing today. Another team, you look at the Minnesota Twins, who are closer to what the Detroit Tigers are doing. The Minnesota Twins weren't very good for a few years. They only had one 100-loss season. Right now, and they had 103 losses, right now the Detroit Tigers are staring down a 118-loss season if their track record holds. 118 losses would be, obviously, like I talked about, the third worst record in all of baseball history. They're tearing this team down piece by piece to the studs. And they're not doing it to rebuild this team into a World Series championship team. They're doing it because Chris Illich, the son of a devoted owner in Mike Illich of the Detroit Red Wings and Detroit Tigers, simply wants to make more money. And there's a difference. There's a difference between wanting a winning team and just making money. Because you can make money with a winning team, but you can make more money if you simply torch the team down to nothing. Absolute scorched earth the Detroit Tigers to make as much money as you possibly can by paying out the least amount possible. But oh no, don't worry, you're still going to charge $10 to $12 a beer at your baseball game for a team who's going to barely get 40 wins. You can get away with charging 60 to $80 for lower deck seats near the dugouts for a team that's going to win 40 games in a season. Because Chris Hillich doesn't want to rebuild this team. The Detroit Tigers are the worst they've ever been. This team, I would argue, shows less promise than the 2003 Detroit Tigers did that lost 119 games. They've traded away their best hitter. They traded away their closer. Their best pitcher had Tommy John surgery. Their second best pitcher, they didn't trade away four assets here at the trade deadline. It's inexplicable what he's doing to this team. It's unacceptable what he's doing to this team. And I'm glad I mentioned 2003 as being that pinnacle, that low point pinnacle, the valley, if you will, of the Detroit Tigers going 43 and 119. Because that was a year that the Miami, well then, Florida Marlins won the World Series. Their second World Series as an expansion franchise. They won a World Series in 1997 and notoriously tore that team apart. And that whole town hates that team. That state hates that team because of what that ownership did to that franchise. Won a World Series, didn't want to pay a penny, tore it all down. And you'd think, well, that's a sad story. Yeah, they actually built it back up. In 2003, they won a second World Series as an expansion franchise. They've now won two World Series since the time the Detroit Tigers last won the World Series in 1984 as an expansion franchise. So the Miami Marlins have gone through this not once, but twice, where they've won a World Series and then had to see their team torn down to nothing, ripped down to the studs, bare bones, everything taken out, so their owners 
could hoard more millions of dollars and inevitably, like they did a few years ago, tear it all down once more and sell it for billions of dollars to Derek Jeter after fleecing citizens for a new baseball stadium. But at least, at least the Miami Marlins got World Series rings out of it. What have the Detroit Tigers and their fans got out of it? Raised ticket prices and a worse team. They're not doing anything to show you that they're on the right track right now. They had the number one draft pick two years ago, the number five pick this year, and they're well on their way to a number one pick next year, well ahead of the Baltimore Orioles. That's not the way rebuilds work. Rebuilds don't go bottom, middle, bottom. No, you're supposed to start working your way up. This team has been at the bottom now for three consecutive years with two players you're paying more than 20 to $25 million, terrible contracts, that, that aren't worth the discussion right now because I don't have the time to waste on that discussion. The Tigers are rebuilding, according to their owner, Chris Illich, and according to their general manager, Al Avila. They're rebuilding the only way they can. But it's not. It isn't. All they need to spend was 30 to $40 million on free agents this year to at least try to win. If they had done that last season, there's a good chance they finish 500. And they still have these assets in the minor leagues that they have today. They're not improved. There's nothing better today than one year ago for the Detroit Tigers. According to Baseball America, their farm system and their minor league help moved from the 14th ranked to the 13th ranked. And this team has gone from the number five pick to the number one pick next year. They've only gotten worse. The only thing that's gotten better for anybody is Chris Illich's pocketbook, who's going to be seeing more millions as he sheds the salary at the trade deadline of Nick Castellanos and their closer Shane Green. The only thing that got better? Alavila's pocketbook. Possibly the worst general manager in all of baseball, who was extended during this season of historically bad proportions. Extended in the middle of this season as this team only gets worse as he shows an absolute inability to get proper talent at trade deadlines for their established stars that they're trading off for pennies on the dollar. As you see, they trade their, their all-star closer this year, Shane Green for nothing for a guy who might be a bullpen player in three years and Joey Wentz and a guy who was literally designated to be, he could be taken in the rule five draft for free. You wouldn't have to give up anything for free in Travis Demerit. Not even on the top 30 list of Atlanta Braves prospects. And he's part of a package for the all-star closer of the Detroit Tigers in Shane Green. Al Avila has shown himself to be nothing short of incapable. And yet he gets extended. And he does that because him and Chris Illich are in the same boat. They both know what needs to be done. They both know that they need to continue tearing down the financial burdens of yesteryear because Chris's dad, Mike Illich, wanted a World Series and he spent to win a World Series that he did not get before his death. We're at a stage now where Chris Illich is spitting in the face of his father. He's absolutely desecrating the grave of what Mike Illich wanted, a World Series title for these Detroit Tigers. Rebuilds don't have to be this way. The Minnesota Twins weren't this bad. And now the Minnesota Twins are the best offense in all of baseball. 
The New York Yankees were never this bad. And today the New York Yankees are the prohibitive favorites for the World Series title. The Houston Astros were bad. I don't know that the Houston Astros were this bad. And now the Houston Astros have a World Series title and are again a top contender for the World Series title this year. At least the Miami Marlins got World Series rings out of it. All Detroit Tiger fans got were close, but not close enough. And please stick with us and believe us when we say we're rebuilding the only way possible. Well, Chris Illich, you're not. The attendance shows that. The rate, the television ratings show that. Your prospect rankings show that. You're not doing it the right way. And the Detroit Tigers of my younger years, the Detroit Tigers of my teenage and, and early 20s who competed and who showed that they were World Series contenders, they got there from 2003 to 2006. We are now at the last time the Detroit Tigers made the playoffs longer than that span. And not only are they not in the playoffs, they're nowhere near the playoffs, and they are the worst team in baseball, and they are possibly on track to be the worst team ever in baseball with 120 losses. It's an absolute travesty. It's unfair. It's unfair to the fans. And I'm not the only fan of a team who's gone through this. I know a lot of people are fans of the Cleveland Browns who have historically not been good. And now they look to be on the turnaround. There's fans of franchises like this, and it's simply not a rebuild. It's absolutely money-grabbing, salary-shedding for these owners so they can make more millions in their pockets and eventually sell the franchise to hopefully... Hopefully, somebody who gives a damn, because right now the Detroit Tigers, their ownership does not give a damn about what they're putting out on the field. And that shows by the worst offense in baseball and the worst record in baseball, possibly in all of history. So sorry for that. Thank you for indulging me there the, on my self-indulgent rant about the Detroit Tigers that uh, has just frustrated me to my core. Uh, I appreciate you bearing with me. And I hope I can kind of espouse something in that rant there uh, that you can kind of, it, you don't, it's not staying a fan if you stop watching during these times. It doesn't make me a bad fan if I don't want to watch right now. If they were bad and they had some talent on the field and it looks like they were trying to put a productive team on that field, I would be there. I would be trying to go to a game. I'd be trying to watch more. But right now, they want television ratings. They want your ticket prices because they want to pocket more millions. And, and it it shouldn't be abided by. And baseball is not the only sport. I talked about the Philadelphia 76ers, the Cleveland Browns. Every franchise does this where they feel like the only way to rebuild is to be really, really bad for a really long time. And it's just not true anymore. It's just not true. I am running short on time. So I'm going to have to skip past, rate my take this week, but I want to load those up for next episode. Hit me up on social media at Steve and Kyle on Facebook and Twitter, or me directly at KPAF3587. That's K-P-A-F-F 3587. Hashtag rate my take so we can get to that in the next episode. I do have a handful kind of built up that I will get to uh, in the next episode, but please keep sending those in. Uh, at, at Steve and Kyle and at KPATH3587. Or if it's easier, go ahead and text it. Text right now if you have a take on anything, whether it's sports-related, 
life related, uh, you know, something you bought that feels like a ripoff, whatever's going on in your life that you feel like, hey, you know, I, I kind of got something burning in the volcano right now and I need to let this take out of the volcano. You can hit me up, text me right now, 424-30-SK-POD. That's 424-30-73767, something like that. I'll read it off at the end of the episode again. Uh, but please text me right now, 424-30-SK-POD with your hashtag. Rate my take so I can get to that in coming episodes. I did want to get to, though, what I'm obsessing over. It's something that my wife and I just finished last week. We're a little bit behind. If you've watched this or if you've uh, heard about this, and I can't give it a glowing enough recommendation, uh, you need to go right now and watch Pen15 on Hulu, following two young girls as they uh, begin their lives in junior high, best friends, quirky friends, not friends that you would look at on a television show and say they're going to be the hot commodity, they're not going to be the popular kid in school, and sure enough, that doesn't disappoint. Uh, Pen15 follows these two girls as they uh, traverse day-to-day life dealing with family issues, dealing with relationship issues, dealing with friendship issues, as as well as so much more, this deep dive into their friendship and a look back into the late 90s, early 2000s as this is a coming-of-age tale in the late 90s. Again, Pen15 on Hulu following friends Anna and Maya as they dig into their junior high lives while tackling the day-to-day lives at home and of being best friends. A time and place that I think a lot of my generation in early to mid-30s can look back on fondly and even a little bit younger can look back on fondly. Kind of really digs into the nostalgia wave that you see in a lot of TV and advertisements and and in movies. People seem to be fascinated by the 80s, fascinated by that era, and especially in the 90s now as well. So it's really good and really unique to be able to look at and be able to see that through that lens now in hindsight of how awkward everything was and how awkward people were and the way that the school system and the class system in schools worked if you weren't able to see it then this is a refreshing look on it uh half hour episodes it was very fast they're very very funny anna conkle and and maya they they created the show they wrote the show and two very unique characters in an incredibly hilarious show all streaming now on Hulu, season one of Pen15. I can't give it my highest recommendation. Need you to check that out right now. That's all I have for this week. Apologies for skipping rate my take. I did get a bit carried away there with my Detroit Tigers rant. So thank you again for listening. Thanks for bearing with me during that. We will be back. Hashtag rate my take. You can get a hold of me on social media like I mentioned a few minutes ago. Please do that. Drop those takes in so I can talk about them uh, in coming episodes here of Sports State with Kyle. And again, the phone number, if you want to text, text right now, whatever you're doing, 424-3075-763. Again, that's 424-3075-763. So go ahead and use that for hashtag rate my take. Uh, we will be back in a few weeks with another episode. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time.
When you drive the brand ranked number one in dependability by J.D. Power, you can stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see yourself behind the wheel of the brand ranked number one in dependability by J.D. Power. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Kia received the fewest reported problems among all brands in the J.D. Power 2022 U.S. Vehicle Dependability Study based on 2019 models. See jdpower.com slash awards for 2022 details. For the ones who get it done, the most important part is the one you need now. And the best partner is the one who can deliver. That's why millions of maintenance and repair pros trust Granger Because we have professional-grade supplies for every industry, even hard-to-find products. And we have same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders. But most importantly, we have an unwavering commitment to help keep you up and running. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.